0: couple questions right off just to get you involved here. How many of you, if you were given a counterfeit bill, would know just like that? Is there anybody in the room, you just touch and you go, that's not real? No? Just a, just, there's a couple of you in the room. In between you and everybody else are people in retail with a yellow marker, right? And, and you've seen that. You, they take your bill and they go... Oh, it's not real. Or oh, that's real. No- normally, they just say that's real, and they put it in the thing. And now all the bills have yellow marks on them. I I wonder if if uh, if you could take a counterfeit one and just mark them with a yellow pen, and then people would just buy it. I'm just asking questions. Anyway, or or this one. How many of you trust your phones' GPS implicitly? And it always gets you where you intend to go. Okay. Both of these things are quite a big deal. Um, I lived, we lived in a county before here that the county numbered the addresses from south to north, but the Garmin or the goodies all thought it was north to south, south to, right the opposite. And so the very first week we lived there, we were invited to somebody's house, and their address was 101 Erickson Road. Well, so we punched it in, and it took us to the other end of a dirt road because it thought 101 was one-tenth of a mile from that end of the dirt road as opposed to one-tenth of a mile from the gravel end of the dirt road. And it was a harvest road. So, you know, um, how many of you are familiar with harvest roads? After the combines go over them, they have this stuff that's like flour in them, and that's dirt, only sometimes it can be five or six inches deep, and you drive through it, and it just clogs everything. It's sort of like Mount St. Helens revisited. But anyway, so what do you do if the address you're going to is somewhere between Barstow and Orient? and you don't know the way. You get a map, right? Or you go online and you figure it out because, you know, coverage is not going to be there. You're going up Highway 20 in somebody's house, and there's no coverage, and so there's no map to be used. You go to Barstow and ask directions, says Roxanne. That's what you do because they know everybody that lives out there, and they know how to find them. This is what I did when I got to Vancouver, British Columbia. I got one of these. How many of you have seen one of these? This is not a road map like you traditionally get that I was in charge of printing for the State Highway Department. This is a Thomas Guide, and it has every single street and map of every city in the Pacific Northwest. That's most of British Columbia, all of Washington, and all of Oregon in highly detailed stuff. Now, the problem with it is it doesn't tell you whether they're one way or two way. (laughs) Anyway, just want you to know that sometimes we're on a path and we don't know where we're going. All this to get us started into this, back into this, we've had a little break from Revelation, and some of you are deeply thankful for that, and others are wishing that we hadn't taken the break whatsoever. And so right in the middle is where we... We all get to sit for a second. We're reading Revelation 13, 11 through 18 today, and it has the most infamous or pernicious text in the whole Bible for faith in it. It has that number in it, 666, is in, this nu- is in the text today. And so I'm going to do, I have to do a little bit of work around that number just so you know why it's a problem. And then we'll talk about this thing. We're in the middle of um, the world's false or, let me say this, incomplete, deceptive trinity. uh, Revelation 12 was the dragon who is a pantomime of God. The beginning of chapter 13 is the beast of the sea, which is a pantomime or uh, an artificial Jesus, not a complete Jesus. And today, we're in the artificial spirit of the Holy Spirit, okay? So you ready? We've got you all ready, right? Hang on to your seat. Here we go. This is Revelation 13, 11 through 18. And then I saw another beast come out of the earth, and he had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. And he exercised all the authority of the first beast. remember the first beast is the one that acts like Jesus, but isn't Jesus. And he required all the people of the earth and, its, and all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. and he did astounding miracles. Now in the Hebrew, or in the Greek, that astounding miracle's word is great. Deeds. It's the exact same word that's used of Moses in the Greek translation of the old thing. So it does the works of Moses, and it calls down fire from heaven. Who calls down fire from heaven in, Bibl- in biblical times? Just anybody Anybody got a guess? Elijah. Elijah. Yeah, Elijah. So it's doing all this work, and it does it all in, while everyone is watching. What is that? Who does that sort of remind you of? Everything he does is perfect. Every, he does everything well. So it does it in, in, in view of everybody. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the people who belong to this world. Now, now it doesn't say he deceived everybody, it just said that he deceived the people that belong to this world. He ordered the people to make a statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. Okay. Do you know of anywhere in the Bible where it says, make an image of your God? That's directly opposite. Is there even a story that goes with that in the Exodus thing where Moses is up there getting the book? By the way, the Bible is a book of discipleship, how to be a disciple of God, not a crystal ball. I just want you to sort of evaporate that crystal ball. I get to look at the Bible, and it's going to tell me exact future events, exactly, just just submit to it as a book of discipleship. But is there any spot in the Bible better suited to address this text than what we're talking about in Exodus 32 when Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments and what are the people doing? They're making a golden calf. Now, golden calves in the ancient world mean certain things. You don't worship a golden calf because you think calves are awesome you 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 worship a golden cow because of the prosperity that cows bring to you and things like that, so even in Egypt, they had that one god with the with the falcon head they don 't worship a god with a falcon head; they worship somebody that is far seeing like a falcon okay so it 's more much more about attributes. I just want you to get there but but so when the people of Israel are making a golden calf, what are they saying they 're saying that Well, our God is strong and and he makes us prosperous. But the problem is, is they don't know enough about who God is to form an image that's accurate. Do you know enough about your God to form an image that's accurate, that would be accurate and would show him what God is like to everybody in the world? Can you form that image? Well God did. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. That's what Colossians 2 says. So we're not in the business of making idols. So as soon, you know, I just want you to notice that as I gotta if I turn this way, George, I I, I have to be careful, right? You can't hear me, you can't do anything about it. It's all right. It was, it was weird in the first service, too. So it's, it's not George, it's me. Don't get mad at George. So here it is. If you see somebody forming a statue and saying, worship that statue, what should you as a believer, what should be your first thought? Run for the hills. <laughs> this is not where you want to be. Okay, but he did something else, too. First... And then he was permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. And then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it die. Okay, so I need to go into a little bit of story about what was going on in in the Near East about this time. There was a group of emperor worships, and they called themselves the Asiarchs, or the priests of the emperor worship. And And later on, you'll see this they they wore they wore like a headband with a picture of Domitian that said "God and Savior on it, okay, Emperor worship, and they would go around and they would say they were the ones that stood at the fire that when everybody that was a member of the of the of the ancient Roman Empire had to come up and pinch a little incense and burn fire incense to the emperor it wasn't the emperor making them do that it was the Asiarchs. But they would take statues and, and, and try to make them move without being seen. It's, it's a little bit of, and, and throw their voice, they, they knew how to ventriloquist these things, and they figured out how to do it. And so the statues would move and, and everything of the emperor so that they would just employ the emperor worship. And it's a little bit of the Wizard of Oz, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But they did that. Okay, so if you see somebody that's telling you that you got to worship and they gave it breath, but I need to talk about this a little bit of giving a breath. Because in, in Hebrew, breath and spirit and wind are the same word. So in Genesis 2, when God forms human. In the dirt, and he breathes into him, we sing a song in the first service it 's your breath in our lungs, so we give so we give praise to you, God. What literally they could be saying is it 's your spirit inside us that makes us alive, and so it 's not a it 's not a fake life it 's a when Jesus was resurrected, he didn't come back to the same kind of life that he had before. He came back to a resurrected life, to a new, like he was new and different, right? He could show up and go, and he ate, and he didn't, we're not talking about Lazarus here, who Lazarus was resuscitated and then did, you know, we still don't have Lazarus hanging around today. He did pass away at at a later time. But Jesus didn't. His life is different. It's that kind of life that we're after. The Jesus life, rather than the resuscitated, temporary, I got a, high, I got a really excited moment. We don't want to get this sort of thing. So it's, it's, he, they give breath to it. But this is also what Jesus does in John 20, when he says, he's just about to depart. And he says, and he breathed on them, may the Holy Spirit enter you. That's why that breath and spirit and wind thing, you know, when Jesus comes back just on a little aside there, Jesus says, you don't know the works of my father just as you don't know the works of the spirit because you don't know where the wind blows or the wind comes from or where it's going. That's why that spirit, wind, breath conversation makes so much sense. You don't know the spirit of God and what he's doing if you don't have him in you. But if you have him in you, you begin to know him, and and you begin to do this. So here's here's that that's and and I gotta keep going. So first, it set up an image. It gave they gave breath to the image, and then it forced everybody to to for allegiance to it. He required everyone, small and great, and rich and poor, and free and slave, to give a mark. To be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, right? We got a sweatband with a little with a little picture of LeBron James on it, it says Cleveland. I mean, no, it says uh, Domitian and it says God had Savior. <laughs> or you have in your hand a coin with Domitian's picture that says God and Savior, and you can't buy or sell without using it and sort of proclaiming it. That's why they did that. It's kind of why we say on ours coin. On our coinage, what does our coinage say? Does it say George Washington is awesome? No, it says in God we trust. You proclaim with your money what your main message is. We still do that. Now, maybe we as a country don't fully buy into that and don't understand that we're supposed to be doing that. But we as Christians do get it and do understand. Here we are. And no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. OK, so Ted told the story today about going into a grocery store I'm just going to pass this along, where he bought a couple of things and the totaled up at 666. 6 dollars and66 cents. And the checker said, "Oh, well, you need a mint. <laughs> That's not a good number." And she put a mint in there and charged him 25 cents and said, "Oh, 694, it's way better." And he was sitting there going, "Wait, what just happened?" I just want you to know sort of the weirdness that comes around this number. And because of that, I need you to set this message aside for just a second and talk to you about 666, okay? Because in your Bible, and I asked this question in the first service, if you've got your Bible open, some of you do, some of you don't, if it says it is the number of a man or, or the number of man, do you know? Do you have your Bible open? Bill, do you have yours open? Uh, uh, 13, verse 18. The number, just before that, is it the number of a man or man? Okay, a man. Those English, those English people that understand English in the world, what is the difference between a man and man? One or all of us, right? The uh, article is not in the Greek. It doesn't say a man. It says the number of man. So just just to add to the little weirdness that we have here, I'm going to go in and I'm going to read the three ways people have interpreted it. Okay, And the first way is the number of kind of madness. And I'll kind of tell you that, why we do that. Okay, so... This is an old world way of gematria. And gematria happens because the ancient world didn't have numerals. They used letters for numbers. That's why the Roman clock uses letters instead of numbers. Sort of like that. Anyway, so what it does is it takes each letter of the name and it assigns it a number and then you add all the numbers up. And so... In Pompeii on a cave, there's a spot where it says, I love her whose number is 545. Now that's super awesome if you know that you're 545 to this guy. But if you don't know if you're 545 to this guy, let me explain here, okay? So David is my name, David McHugh. Let's add this up, d 4 a one v four hundred. I is nine, and a D is four, and then you have an M, which is, let's see, I can't find it, 40, and then a couple of Cs, which are threes, and you add all those up, and you get a number. Okay, so that's great. You get, that, you get this number. Let's say for a second it's, it's 497. I didn't do the math because I'm doing this on the fly, and you don't want to watch that. Watch me have a, have a headache right here in front of you. It's pretty easy to get a number out of the name. But do you see how hard it is to get a name out of the number? How many combinations of 545 are there in the world? Okay, so here's the reason why this is a little nutty. Nero, Domitian, Muhammad, Frederick Third. Various popes, Martin Luther, Napoleon, Kaiser Wilhelm, Stalin, Hitler, Roosevelt, Henry Kissinger, Ronald Reagan, and every president since then has been presented, including Mikhail Gorbachev and Putin and all these others, have been presented as 666 for various reasons. It's sort of like reading and paying attention to Nostradamus. If you've ever seen Nostradamus' text, and by the way, he's always the one who predicts everything, you have to do some gymnastics to get him to actually speak coherently. But once you do some gymnastics to make him speak coherently, you can pretty much make him say whatever you want. So clearly, he predicts everything because you're looking for it and you're making it happen. It goes like this. Nero... Has been done six six six. That if you use his title Neuron Kaiser, you come out with six six six. But you have to take it to a different language to do it. But there's a, but there's a variant. Sometimes in your Bible it'll have the number and it'll have a little footnote and it'll say some manuscripts say this or something like. Have you ever noticed that in your study Bibles that it'll have a little footnote and it'll give you more detail? Well, some some of the manuscripts don't have 666 as the number. They have 616. So if you use Nero's name in a different way, with a different title, you get 616. And so that's clearly Nero, who's already been dead by this period of time. But they're afraid he'll come back. In the same way that we spent most of the last 50 years afraid that Hitler was coming back. Even though he was dead. I I think we're less afraid of that, of him coming back now, because if you add his age up to where he would be right now, it's not that impressive. Except that he made it. Let's see. Here we go. So, is 666 referring to Nero? This commentator says, likely not. It requires too much playing around with the facts. That's the uh, Nostradamus view it requires johns readers to be able to go from latin to greek to hebrew and to fudge some of the letters along the way okay that's an opinion there are people that that maintain that it's nero and they have very good reasons i'm not trying to just say it's that they're wrong okay but there's another way if gematria isn't the way they have another way that they do numbers in the ancient world which is triangles and i and i explain it this way so if if I have ten M and M's and they're on my table, how many of you have formed a, a pyramid out of those? But one and two and three and four. Have, have you ever done that? That's the number ten in the ancient world, that little pyramid. Okay. Is six 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 the triangular number of thirty six? Big deal. Well, six is the tri- thirty six is the triangular number of eight. Big deal. Well, it is if you understand that in Rome there are seven heads on the beast and seven mountains and seven kings and five have fallen. It starts giving these numbers, but the number eight is the next one, which happens to be Domitian. That kind of seems a little bit far-fetched to me. Do you see the mental gymnastics that we're going through to get something out of this? But if we do it this way, something that I've talked about throughout the link... Of this thing is the numbers, this is what it says, there is a third approach, and that is to treat 666 as a symbol, not a code to be broken. And it doesn't require too much mental gymnastics. I just want to say that. We've talked about seven. Why does the the lamb have seven horns? Because horns are power, and seven is perfect power. Seven eyes, perfect eyesight. Six is falling short. And if you understand just a little bit about the ancient world, I've used this example a number of times that they don't have grammatically good, better, best, or bad, worse, worst. Or as I say to annoy my wife, gooder and bestest. (laughs) Most bestest. They don't have that. They don't have it. And Joseph is thrown, right? Joseph's brothers get mad at him and they throw him in a pit. But in the ancient world, you can't say it's a bad pit. You duplicate this thing in Hebrew and it's a pit, pit. So you get thrown in a pit, you can get out of that pit, but if it's a pit, pit, you're not getting out. You might break your arm going down, right? But if it's a pit, 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 that's the worst kind of pit. That's exactly what's going on. Are you ready? In Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it says the dark, dark, dark valley. So the repetition, the three of them, magnify the meaning of the thing. What's the darkest valley? If it's a dark valley, you might be a little worried in it. If it's the darkest, val- a darker valley, you might not go through there without a friend. If it's the dark, dark, dark valley, you don't go through there without Jesus. Right? Can you imagine going through, yea, the way I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, without the, the one with the keys and the power of resurrection? No, you don't do that. You don't set that up like that. And so it does this, but it brings new meaning also to Isaiah 6, where the angels are singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. So holy is separate. Holy, holy means more holy than you, right? Because they're holier. That is a term. What is the most holy? Holy, 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 the holiest. What is the most incomplete, permanently incomplete, worst idea, never fulfilling the promise on its own, the mark of a man, 666. Now, I'm, I want you to feel free to, to adopt any system you want, okay? I'm telling you what I think. I think it's this one. I think that we as humans spend a lot of time in the image of the beast of the land's viewpoint where we're setting up images that can't be God and then pretending that their movement makes them alive And then only buying and selling in that light. And we are permanently unfulfilled. But there is a way, the text brings us to this spot. It's why I brought up treasury agents earlier. Treasury agents, the people that can know counterfeit money by the field, do you know how they do that? They only give them the real thing for a long time and make them handle it all the time and then suddenly switch it over. And if you know the real thing, then suddenly the fake one, it just... So how do you tell? You said you could do it. It's a feel and smell. So do you know your money well enough that you could feel it and smell it and go, something's hinky here? Essentially that, right? Now you said you could do it too. Is that how you do it? Didn't you? You hold, uh, Okay, so how do you tell the difference between um, a deceiving bill, a counterfeit bill, and a regular bill? Immediately. Just like that? Okay. By, right, it, it feels hinky. Have you ever felt like something was hinky with your world? Hinky is a technical term meaning hinky. So how do we do this as believers? Because it's sad that all those that, were, that were, belonged to the world were deceived, but that drew a line. You don't belong to the world. You belong to Jesus. So what are the three things? I think these are three things that the text warns us to be. And I just want to say this, okay? Number one, have a healthy suspicion of signs and wonders. Not all that is gold not all that glistens is gold, right? It's right out of the Lord of the Rings, right? The, not all that is gold glistens. Not everything that looks good tastes good, right? It's, it's the plastic fruit on my grandma's table. They were super fun and chewy, but they never changed their shape. <laughs> it's much better than the porcelain ones that just hurt your teeth. Have a healthy suspicion. I'm not telling you to not believe that God works. Matter of fact, I'm telling you God specifically works, and because God specifically works through miracles, that that the enemy deceives with things that look like miracles. And how do you know the difference between the two of them? Anyone? By knowing the scriptures, I... Yes, exactly right. And you know the scriptures because what do the scriptures do? The scriptures always point to one person, don't they? Jesus. The Holy Spirit always says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your life, and there's a miracle. Who gets the credit? Jesus. Not Asclepius in the ancient world, the miracle worker. Okay. So first off, I've experienced, I just want you to know that I am not a fan of every miracle, but I've experienced one in my own life. And and I talked about it, I've talked about it in here. My hip, my left hip was so bad that I could not spend 20 minutes in any position without pain. Period. So this was going on. I was taking Hebrew eight hours a day. And I couldn't sit, stand, lay on the ground for 20 minutes. I had to constantly move or it would start to hurt. It was like having gravel in my hip socket. And the longer it sat there, the more unbearable it got. Well, I was taking painkillers. Well, one of the nights on the way home, somebody asked me about faith. And we had this long conversation about faith. And that night, God woke me up in a dream. And my dream was, God is healing me. And it woke me up you ever had a dream like that? Well, my, you know, the muscle on your hip. Have you ever had a muscle do this? Super fun, right? Well, when the one on your hip does it, it's a big old muscle and it's doing that. <laughs> and it will move you around. But what if it's not hurting? What if, well, this is my experience, it was like, you know, my hip doesn't hurt. I could totally put up with some flinching muscles right now. That's right. God did it. I knew who did it. He woke me up. It's got to have a healthy suspicion. So I've had somebody in the church office over there, and they accused me of never listening to prophecy. Okay? And I said, no, that's not true, but the person you're talking about last year was wrong, and now you're listening to them again. And all I want you to do is have a healthy coating of discernment in your life. Because the Old Testament standard for false prophet is wrong once. And then you didn't get to live if they followed the rules. So here we go. That's the first one a healthy suspicion. Two, this sort of pains me to say as a representative of a revolution institution institutions can get off track. Okay, America isn't the world's last great hope. Jesus is. Even if America is the one that comes, here I am to save the day, right? We think of ourselves this way. doesn't make us that way, by the way. But we can get off track. I'm a representative of a church. Well, churches can get off track too. Do you know why churches can get off track? Because institutions don't have relationships with Jesus. People do. So if you want to have a revival in a church, the way a revival happens in a church is individuals get set on fire with God, by God, and then they... They infect the rest of the body, if you want to use that language. And everybody goes, ooh, that's cool, I want to do that. And then they get it, and, then the more, and pretty soon you have a church on fire for God. It isn't that he comes down and he sets the building on fire and everybody inside goes, woo-hoo. That's not how that happens. If, if the church is on fire, everybody stands around outside holding hands praying, going, what are we going to do with our buildings on fire? Right, so too institutions get off because of this. This building doesn't have a savior. We do. I want to make that very clear. We love this building. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about negative. I love this building. This building is awesome. But the savior, the Jesus in me, loves the Jesus in you, not the Jesus in the building, because. Well, I mean, that's a fine point. The Jesus in the building is you with his presence inside of you. It's his breath in your lungs. Okay, number three, this is a big deal, okay? Worship. We worship a God not because we love singing, although some of us really love singing. But the purpose of worship is a reminder of one specific detail in your life. You're not God, and somebody else is. And so you focus toward that God, and you say, it's you that I love, and you have been my Savior. And these three things, this healthy suspicion, right, Arm yourself, as the Bereans did, with a healthy suspicion and go, does it match up and does it point to Jesus and all this stuff? And then don't forget that you happen to be an American, but you got Jesus inside you and you live in America. And you happen in this moment to be in a United Methodist Church, but being in the United Methodist Church or any church or Southern Baptist or anything ain't nothing without Jesus. Okay, And because of that, you focus and you worship Him, and that's how you end up not getting. You become the treasury agents of God because you get to know Him and you handle that, and 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 He's and He and He's with you, and this relationship is built. and And you carrying around your big Bible, but not reading it doesn't help because you don't know it and you don't feel it, and it doesn't. Things don't. Right When you know this book and, and you know the God behind the pages who points to Jesus, then pretty soon the counterfeit thing goes, I don't get it, but something's wrong there. And then when you get a lot of experience doing that, you go, I know what that is. That's wrong because it's not God. That's the way it is and how we deal with the beast of the land. Of our world and the institutions that it does. If we know this Jesus, we will not, cannot be deceived. It's his breath in our lungs.